Good morning, church. How are we today? It is great to be with you. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you to Abundant Life. We are so glad that you are part of this with us. Uh, it is a packed house today. So I just want to thank you for being part of it. Sorry if you're like, man, this is crazy. Uh, we have the 8.30, 11.30 service as well. If you want to check those out, uh, we have more room in those. But we are so thrilled that you are part of this with us today. Hopefully you had a chance to, uh, to maybe go to one of our Christmas services and, and, uh, and be a part of that experience with us. Uh, I, I just want to tell you how much I love this community. I shared a story, an illustration in those services. Uh, I talked about, you know, gifts that we give as parents that we don't necessarily think through uh, to our kids, you know, those gifts. And I talked about a popular gift uh, that was the shark blanket. Uh, if you were here, you remember this. And it's a little like sleeping, bla- sleeping bag that's like a shark and talk about how you're going to give your kids nightmares. Well, here's the best part. Evidently, a number of you had those already wrapped underneath your trees and you sent me photos of of the next day giving those. So I got these cute little, you know, kid photos of kids in sharp blankets, so happy. I got less than cute photos of the parents inside the shark blankets. Uh, You know, it's just great. I just love this church, I love this community. So I just want to say thanks for you guys being awesome. Uh, today we're beginning a brand new series called Redeeming Pleasure. I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible with you, to get that out. We're going to be in the book of Genesis chapter 3. So if you've got a physical analog Bible with you, go all the way to the very beginning. Uh, the first book, three chapters in, that's where we're going to be. If you've got a Bible app on a device, on a phone, I encourage you to scroll all the way to the top, get to Genesis. Uh, we want you to read along for yourself. If you're a regular part of this with us, I encourage you, bring a form of the Bible Every week with you, every week we're going to use it, we're going to dive in, and I want you to see the scriptures for yourselves. Uh, also, let you know, like you've, you've, you've heard already, uh, these are the new journals we're doing. This is going to be a, a critical part of the way we do this moving forward. Please uh, invest in this. Take this seriously. Uh, we've put design, you know, an effort into this for you. I encourage you to write your name in it, own it, uh, take it home with you, bring it back with you. And this is the idea of, you know, write down things that you hear, and, and uh, I think you're far more likely to do that if you're actually going to save it as opposed to throwing it away or recycling it. And so you can save these per series. You can go back later and go, hey, what, what was it that I really liked about that series or what stood out to me? You can go back to these notes. And, and again, this gives you, you know, a chance as you begin the conversation on Sunday. We want this to carry on throughout the week. We don't want this to be you know, a blip on your radar and then the rest of the week is different. Uh, and so I encourage you, take notes as you're studying the Bible throughout the week. You can use your journal as you go to your life group. You can use your journal. Uh, the idea is that this becomes much more holistically a part of what we're doing on a regular basis. So encourage you, get your journals out, take notes as we go, write down things that, that God is impressing upon your heart. Uh, and then also want to let you know as we begin this series, Redeeming Pleasure, uh, if you are looking for a Bible reading plan to do, uh, there is one we created on this, uh, on this topic on version. And so if you've heard of version, it's like the number one, uh, you know, 100 bajillion downloads of this. Uh, they have a reading plan, uh, a 21-day devotional. You can read along. Uh, and you can start that, I think, about three weeks. 
weeks and you can be done with that and, uh, and follow along with us as we go. Uh, we're going to start on social media. We'll start walking through each day of this as well as reminders uh, if you want to be a part of that with us. Just want to let you know, totally free. Go to YouVersion if you're interested and search for Redeeming Pleasure. Now, pleasure is such an interesting topic to discuss in church. And, and Christians get very weird around this subject. And it's like, uh, there's a number of, of rules that we have, unspoken rules. And, and one of them is you don't talk about pleasure in church. It's just like, everybody knows that. It seems a little bit uncomfortable. And the moment I first realized how weird this was going to be uh, was when I was writing the book and the publisher said to me, uh, what do you want to be on the cover of the book? I never thought about this. I'm like, I don't know. Uh, what, what do you guys think? And I'm like, well, we can send you, you know, some ideas. I said, great. Uh, you know, I, I, I was not really, you know, I didn't know what to do for a book on pleasure. What, what image comes to mind? You know, what are you supposed to do? It's a Christian book, so that, you know, narrows my options quite a bit. Uh, but, you know, I'm like, I, I, I'm not sure. And so I want to show you a couple of the early versions of, of covers. But this illustrated to me, we don't really know what we think about when we think about pleasure. Here's one of the first ones they sent me. Uh, it was uh, this cover with, with two cherries. Yeah, I thought, okay, let's, let's keep going. Like, let's just try another one. So they sent me this. I thought, man, that looks beautiful. I'd love to vacation there. I'd love to go spend some time there. I just have no idea what that has to do with anything in the book. Uh, and so I said, let's, let's keep working on it, keep working on it. Another one they sent me was this, uh, which is kind of cool. I like this. had like the, the Greek philosophy angle. And there's a little bit of philosophy in there. But I thought, you know, it really doesn't describe, it doesn't do it justice. And so finally we landed on uh, the, the cover that you've no doubt seen, uh, which is an apple core. And in case you haven't seen it, there are two faces in the apple core, a man's face Yep. You're welcome right there. It's just, it's worth the price of admission, guys. So, yeah, now you can't unsee it. You've, you've seen it. You know, if we're honest, though, a lot of us, we don't, we don't know what to do when we think about pleasure because there's, there's really one thing that comes to our minds when we think about the word pleasure. And, and, and I can speak prophetically, if you would allow me for a moment, and tell you that as I say the word pleasure... There is one word that keeps popping up in your mind. Anybody want to say it? We got some brave ones in the front. Thank you. Sex. Yeah, let's, let's say it in church and God's not going to smite us, right? The word sex. Now, if you've read the book, you know that's only one chapter. It's not a book on sex. It's a book on pleasure. If you haven't read the book, it's chapter four. I know you're wondering. So there you go. Just go, just go right to it. Don't waste your time with the rest of the stuff, right? But it's not, it, pleasure is not the, the equal to sex. It's not like, oh, this is just, a, we're just going to talk about sex for a week. It's not. And that's part of why I was so interested in this subject to begin with. Because we have relegated pleasure to just that one idea. And I think we are missing it in so many other areas. So I want to give us a working definition to go off of that's going to help us reframe this conversation. So here's pleasure. A cause or source of enjoyment or delight. At its most basic level, let's work with this. Pleasure is a cause or a source of enjoyment or delight. Now, here, let me answer this question. Should you feel this with God? Absolutely. Here's a tougher question. Do you feel this with God? Is this what describes the way most Christians interact with God? Is God a cause or a source of enjoyment and delight. Is this what we're known for as Christians? I would suggest that, that we're missing it a little bit. There's something that we haven't necessarily uh, been a part of. And so we're going to reframe this conversation. A number of years ago, uh, I was going into uh, to, uh, my bank to open up a new bank account. 
I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy opening a bank account. I would rank it somewhere slightly above a trip to the DMV for me. And so I literally am just thinking as we go in there, how long is this going to take? How quickly can I be done with this trip? And so we go in there, and uh, there's this lady. She's in her early 20s. She meets me at the door. She's like, hey, what can I help you with today? And I said, oh, I'm here to open up a bank account. She goes, excellent. I would love to help you with that right this way. Now, I was a little bit annoyed by how excited she was for this conversation because I just wanted to get this done really quickly. And so I'm like, all right, whatever. So she takes me to her desk, and there was a, a lineup of cubicles against the wall, and her station was like right in the middle of it, and it had all these different stations. They each had like these little half cubicle walls. And so it's me and a bunch of other, you know, customers and, and a bunch of other employees all lined up, and, and we're sitting there. And so I'm sitting across the table from her. She's typing, not even looking at me, just typing as we talk. And so she's entering my information, gets my credit card and, and all that. So just typing away. And so uh, as we're doing this, she's just asking me some basic questions, not making eye contact with me, just typing away. One of the things that she asked me is, oh, why are you opening a bank account today? Type, type, type. And I said, well, uh, I'm actually about to release my first book, and my CPA told me uh, that I should do that. She goes, oh, that's great. Uh, are you a full-time writer? Now, it's the first time anyone had ever asked me that question. And it felt kind of good, you know? And it made me feel special. And I was about to say, uh, yeah. And then I was like, I'm a pastor. You probably shouldn't lie. So I said... <laughs> So I said, no, uh, I work at a church. Now, when I said that, she stopped typing, turned her head and said, wait, you're a pastor? Now, I don't know how to explain how the last word of that sentence sounded so much differently than every other word in that sentence. It was like that word lingered on her lips a moment too long. It was hesitant to join the rest of the conversation. It was as if she was describing an endangered species that she had read about and heard about, but never met one up close. So she says, you're a pastor? I said, no, you know, and I said, yeah. She goes, I have some questions. I'm like, okay, Jesus, this is not going to be a short bank experience. I get it. I'm here. Whatever you want to do, let's, let's go. So we get in this long conversation. She tells me about her and her boyfriend. They attend a Catholic, you know, church, and they are considering going to a church like mine. And she had all these questions about, you know, what's my job and what's my church like. And, and so we just get through a lot of conversation, uh, and, and it's, it's a very long bank transaction, right? By the end of it, after all of her questions are exhausted and my account's actually open, she goes, all right, here's what you need to do. Take this, you know, slip of paper, go back to that counter. They're going to give you a receipt, bring the receipt back, and you're all done. I said, great, thank you. So I go up there, take my slip of paper, give it to them, give me a receipt. I walk back to her. I'm ready to say goodbye to my bubbly little bank teller. And then she says to me, can I ask you one more question? Oh, dear Lord. So I sit down. Sure, what's up? She leans over the table and says, what do you think about premarital sex? <laughs> what? Now, remember, there is no privacy, okay? There are customers. There are bank employees. Everyone is now leaning over like, what's he doing? I want one of those accounts. I don't, I don't know what that is. I'm looking at this lady. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? You're going to ask a complete stranger who you just met moments ago this question, let alone a bank customer of yours, and I realize this illustrates how big of a question this is for most people. 
See, most people are going through life and they think they've got to figure it out, but they have this nagging question. Am I doing it right? Am I getting the most out of it? Is this the way it's supposed to be? Now, what would you say to her? Where where do you go to even ask or answer that question? See, I actually knew that I wanted to write this book back when I was in high school. I grew up in the church, which means I have watched Christians all my life. I have watched the way people navigate this. And I noticed that most people went to one of two extremes. Extreme number one, they come over here and they would say, you know what? I like pleasure. I I want to enjoy life. I want to get the most out of life. And so I'm going to live my life the way I want to do it. Therefore, I forego God. I have to just enjoy pleasure. And so there's no room for God because I've chosen pleasure. We, we live in the Portland metro area. A lot of people fall into this category. That just go, hey, this, I just want to get the most out of life. Therefore, I have no room for God. There's another category I noticed. Christians who would say, I love God. I want to pursue God. I want to be all about God. Therefore, I forego pleasure. Now, there's a lot of really well-intentioned Christians in this category. You just probably don't want to spend a Friday night with them. You know what I mean? Like not the most fun people to be around. And I remember watching that, and then I had this question, why are those the options? Why are those the the two ways that we have framed this conversation? Pick pleasure or pick God, you can't have both. Maybe we need to reframe the way in which we view God. And yet that's not how we view God. And that's why when we talk about pleasure, we'll say things like guilty pleasures. I don't call them holy pleasures. We call them guilty pleasures because if you're enjoying it, there's something bad happening. You you probably shouldn't be. Or I love this quote from Craig Groeschel. If you don't think sin is fun, then you're not doing it right. (laughs) That's a pastor saying that. But let's be honest, sin is fun, right? There, There can be an adrenaline rush to sin. And yet, there's something else that goes with it. There's that other thing that goes with it that sometimes makes it not worthwhile in the moment. And it's that, that dance, that, that balance that most people are trying to navigate and a lot of us don't really know how to do it. We, we don't know, are we, are we navigating it right? The last house that we lived in, in in Arizona, I remember moving into that house. And when we moved in that house, you know, whenever you, you move into a new home, it was new to us, but uh, you find out all sorts of interesting quirks about it. So there's the door that sticks. There's the, you know, the floorboard that creaks a little bit. Or I remember in, in our master bathroom, we had two sinks and, and we had tile floor. And, and, and the tile in front of my sink was warm. And, and so I would, you know, at night I'd be brushing my teeth barefoot or in the morning. And, and my feet would feel a warmth upon it from the tile. Here's the problem. We didn't have heated floors. So it's this weird thing, like my tile was warm. You move a few tiles over to my wife's tile, not warm. So it was like this special gift that the house had given me. You know what I mean? Like, why my tile? I don't know, but it's great. And I had this sense of, I really enjoy this, but I probably shouldn't. You know what I mean? Have you ever been there? Like, I, I, I enjoy this, but I, I probably shouldn't. So I called my, uh, my handyman. I said, hey, here's the deal. Uh, I got this issue in, you know, in, my, in my bathroom. And uh, take your time. No rush, but eventually I need you to come take a look at this. I'm not sure what the deal is. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, This is not my area forte. He's like, no problem. And so I'm like, yeah, just, you know, whenever, no rush. But eventually we need to get this figured out. Maybe that describes the way you live your life right now. Like, I'm enjoying this, but I probably shouldn't be. Is that normal? Is that the way that, that God designed it? 
See, I, I've been convinced as I have studied this over the years, as I have searched the scriptures, as I have watched people and, and, and talked to different people about the way they pursue pleasure, I've realized we convince ourselves of a powerful lie. And here's the lie that the culture has presented, that you can have as much pleasure as you want whenever and however you want it. That's the lie. Now, it's so common we go, it sounds not like a lie, right? And, and so we say things like, well, as long as you're not hurting anyone, do whatever you want to do. Whatever makes sense for you, do that. And it sounds so good. But here's what I've learned. And this is the big aha that I went, wow, that changes everything. That whenever we pursue pleasure on our terms, we actually experience less of it. Now we think, I'm maximizing, I'm getting the most, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be awesome. And yet what you realize that once all is said and done, you get less of it. But the reverse is also true. By pursuing pleasure... On God's terms, we experience more of it. Now, depending on where you're at with God right now, this might sound like a crazy idea to you. There's no way I'm going to get more pleasure if I did things God's way. And we're going to look at that in this series. And if you're here and this, this sounds crazy to you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're on this journey with us. This is a safe place for you to wrestle through those questions in community with us. But I believe this to my core, that when we pursue pleasure on God's terms, we experience more of it. Now think about Adam and Eve in the garden. Okay, so go back to that, that you know, iconic story of the first two people. The Bible tells us about these people in Genesis, and we learn that they, they live in this perfect environment. Everything is exactly what you would always want it to be. And there's only one stipulation. God says about one tree, do not eat the fruit of that tree. Do anything else you want, just not the fruit of that tree. Now, without yelling it out loud, just to yourself, I want, I want to give you a little quiz. Which tree was off limits? Don't say it. Which tree was off limits? Can you name the tree? It's an interesting one. Now, in case you're going, I have no idea which tree it is. Let me give you a few options that you could choose from, right? Number one, maybe it's a tree of evil. And God's like, look, that tree represents everything I'm against. Don't touch that tree. It could be this, this tree that embodies evil. Maybe it's a tree of pleasure. And God's like, look, I don't like pleasure. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't want you having it either. So there's too much, you know, pleasure that don't enjoy that. Maybe it's a tree of life. And God's like, I just don't want you to have that much life. And he's trying to avoid it that way. Or maybe, let's be honest, maybe it's some stupid placebo tree that God just put as a joke to see if they would actually eat from it. You know, I don't know. So with all these options, which one was it? The answer is God forbade Adam, a little side note, Eve wasn't even around when God issued this decree. But God told Adam not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you've read this story for a long time, you go, oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Time out for a second. Uh, let's just think about this critically. Does that make sense? That the one thing God would say, I do not want you to have this, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Isn't that a good thing? Why would we not want to have the knowledge of good and evil. Isn't this what every religion is offering? Isn't this what spiritual leaders try to teach? Isn't this what the self-help section at Powell's is going to tell you? The knowledge of good and evil. What could possibly be wrong with that? Well, let's look at Genesis chapter 3. And, and, and we're going to go to verse 6. And we're going to see how this story plays out. And what you find in the beginning pages of Scripture is something that still is happening in our lives today because it's such a pivotal part of our relationship with God. Genesis 3, verse 6. 
When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Notice this line. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is a picture of pleasure. She's sitting there holding the fruit and is like, all right, Adam, I'm going to do it. He's like, are you going to eat it? I'm going to eat it. She bites into it and all of a sudden she's like, whoa, Adam, are you seeing what I'm seeing? I feel amazing right now. Adam's like, let me get it. You know, he takes the bite. He's like, whoa, Eve, this is incredible. I mean, they have pleasure on their terms. It's like, what was God keeping us from? This is unreal. And then notice the very next phrase. And they realized they were naked. It's a picture of consequences. Immediately after this moment of pleasure, they're like, whoa, something's wrong. We're missing something. Something's off. We're, we're lacking. We're incomplete. What's wrong with us? It's an immediate picture of consequences. Not because of some huge punishment of God. It's just the way God designed it. And so after they get pleasure on their terms, immediately they get consequences. And then you read this. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that's a picture of shame. And so you have this cycle that we continue in today. Pleasure on our terms, the natural consequences of that, and shame. And in that shame, we feel that separation from God. And, and we have to work through that to try to get back to God until we start the cycle over again. Pleasure on our terms, consequences, shame. In fact, that's why we're hesitant to talk about pleasure because we think of this cycle. We go, oh yeah, that's, all that leads to is shame. Pleasure leads to shame. No, pleasure on your terms leads to shame. But this is not the way God designed it. See, so the reason why God had said to Adam and Eve, this is the tree I don't want you to eat from, is because he did not want Adam and Eve to have that knowledge apart from him. That was only supposed to come to them through their relationship with God. They would know good and evil because God would tell them what good and evil was. Not because they would figure it out on their own. But they didn't want that. They didn't want to go to God to have to submit that to God. They wanted though that knowledge on their own. But it was above their job description. God's like, I didn't design you for this. And it's the same thing we want today. I don't want God telling me how to live my life. I don't want someone else telling me. I get to decide how to live my life. I get to decide what good and evil is. And yet it's the very same thing that caused the break in the relationship in the very opening pages of Scripture. God did not intend that for us apart from relationship with him. We were supposed to get that from him, and yet we continue to battle against this desire. No, I want it on my own. Now, imagine if you could follow up with Adam and Eve a year later. They've, they've been banished from the garden, uh, all this. They're in the wilderness. They're walking around. And you could go up to, up to them and say, hey, I have a question for you guys. Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Would you do it again? I suspect they would tell you. It was the worst trade of their lives. The worst trade of their lives. Why on earth did we do this? And yet the reality is we make that trade all the time. All the time. No, I'm just going to do this on my terms. I know what's best. I know the knowledge of good and evil. Therefore, I, apart from God, outside of God, I will figure this out. But by pursuing pleasure on God's terms, we experience more of it. Now, turns out, I found out eventually why my floor was heated. So one day, I, I, I figure out that we have a hot water leak underneath our house. 
So I'm walking in the hallway, and I step down, and I hear a sound, which is never a good sound uh, when you're walking in your house. So I'm looking around, and I'm like, oh, no. And then I realize it's in the hallway, and then it goes out this way into the hallway, goes into our closet, then it goes into our bedroom. And so I'm walking into our bedroom, and I realize, my tile. Go around into the bathroom, and there is a standing pool of water. Oh, this is so bad. So now I was home alone with my kids at the time. My wife was working. She's a realtor, so she's out driving around. It's just me. So I run outside, shut the water off in the house. I come in. I'm starting to grab blankets and, you know, towels, everything I can. Meanwhile, my kids think it's the most amazing thing ever. They're like, slip and slide. You know, they're sliding up and down the hallways. So I'm, I'm like taking everything, trying to dry everything. Eventually, I have the water shut off. I have everything, you know, mopped up, dried up. And I'm like, I gotta call my wife. I have to. I have to let Michelle know that we have a major issue in our house, and so I call her and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta ease my way into this. This is a pretty, this is a pretty major, you know, announcement. So I call her. I'm like, Hey, hun, how's work going? What happened to the kids? I'm like, Hold on, no, no, it's, the kids are fine. Hold on. Uh, uh, here's the deal. You know how like in our bathroom, like my tile, not your tile, but like my tile is warm to the touch. She's like, Yeah. I'm like, I found out why. Why? I'm like, because we have a hot water leak, you know, in our house. And she's like, what? Now, here's what's amazing about this story. I have a picture of my wife the exact moment that I had this conversation with her. I mean, how often do you have this opportunity, right? I can show you what Michelle looked like the exact moment. I told her this. Do you want to see it? Check this out. Now, in case you're a little confused at what you're looking at, that's a photo radar ticket. <laughs> she's wearing a yellow shirt. She has her hand up to her phone, you know, her ear, because she's on the phone with me. So the conversation plays out like this. Honey, I need you to get home. Our house is flooded. It's chaos. And she's like, I just got a photo radar ticket. I'm like, ah, God, why? Why is all this happening to me now? You know, like, ah. So it's just chaos. She comes home. We get an emergency plumber there. He's like, good news, bad news. Good news is it's just your hot water. I can shut that off and you can still have cold water. I'm like, great. Uh, you know, what's the bad news? He's like, bad news is uh, we can't get anyone out here to figure this out for about a week. I'm like, we can survive on cold water. Do you know how bad your kids smell after like two days of that? So I'm like, we're shuttling our kids off to get them bathed and stuff. And it's just, it's a rough week. Eventually, we finally get a guy out there, you know, figuring out where the leak is. And he's like, hey, I think I figured it out. I'm like, cool, where, where is it? And he brings me into my bathroom, and he's showing me the sink, and he goes, it's underneath there. Cool, can you just get in there and fix it? He's like, no, I got I to gotta take it out. Like, like what do you mean? You got to take, like, a little tile out? No, no, like, I got to take all that out. Now, I want to show you a before picture of my bathroom. So this is, uh, this is our two sinks. This is Michelle's sink. This is my sink. That's my tile right there. <laughs> Beloved tile. Uh, let me show you an after picture once they found the leak. It's funnier now than it, than it was. So they had to cut into the wall. They had to remove the whole thing. Uh, in Arizona, most houses are built on a concrete slab. So that's the foundation of the home. They had to rip up. That's the dirt underneath the slab. And... And uh, all the while, you know, to find a little pipe that, that had a leak in it. And the guy, hey, great news. Uh, we found the leak. We fixed it. You know, it's, it, it's all good to go. And then he said something that surprised me. He goes, do you want to keep the pipe? I didn't know this was a feature they offered. You know what I mean? Like, 
Well, I'm like, yeah, why not, you know? So I'm going to show you uh, the pipe. <laughs> now, this is going to be hard for you to see, but uh, right here is a tiny little hole that you couldn't even put a pencil tip through. Um, this was the culprit of the entire ordeal. Uh, this little guy right there is what created the, the nice sensation on my feet uh, and also the flood of my house. And, uh, and, and so I had a lot of time with God and I holding this pipe and having real honest conversations. If you ever had conversations like this with God and just wrestling through, you know, God, what's, what's going on here? Why, why are you allowing this forced remodel of my entire house? You know, like what's, what's going on here? And in all those conversations, I had an epiphany from the Lord. Here's my epiphany I'll share with you today. The pleasure of the heat on my floor is not worth the flood in my house. Can I get an amen? amen. The pleasure of the heat on my floor is not worth the flood in my house. You know what God told me? Jeremy, you do this all the time. You make this trade all the time. You think that you know best. You're just going to do things your way. It's not a big deal. And you make a bad deal after a bad deal after a bad deal because you don't fully trust me. I was like, God, is there an easier way to teach me this lesson? You know, like. <laughs> yeah, the reality is, is true in your life as well. But sometimes things you go, ah, it's so minor, it's so little, it's not going to be a big deal. And you might look back and go, that, that, was, a, that was a bad trait. That, that was a really bad deal. Think of what C.S. Lewis said. He said, all get what they want. They do not always like it. See, here's what's amazing about God. God is sovereign. He's all-powerful. He, he's fully complete. He doesn't need anything. And yet, God doesn't force himself on us. He offers himself to us. And if you decide, I don't want to follow God, I want to do things my way, you know what's crazy? He lets you. It's just crazy to me. God's like, all right, cool. Choose your own thing. Decide which road you want to walk down. And, and yet, you might go, I get to choose it however I want. And God's going, I don't think you're going to like it like you think you will. And yet, we have convinced ourselves, no, I'll do it however I want to do it. By pursuing pleasure on God's terms, we experience more of it. So instead, what if we decided we were going to trust Jesus differently, like radically trust him. Like our starting point is, Jesus, what do you want to do for my life? How do you want me to, you know, think about my relationships and my decisions that I make? Like how do I reframe that? What, what if we, we did that? Well, I think it begins with reframing our view of God. Because a lot of us have some really bizarre views about God that we've never really thought through, which prevent us from fully giving our heart to him to trust him. And that's why in the book I spend two chapters just on our view of God. Because if you don't view God as really good, you're never going to come to him to think, hey, you know what's best for my life. And we're going to explore this in the weeks to come of how do we actually think about God? Is, is he actually the one we expect goodness to come from? And, and this is why when you get to Jesus, some of the things that Jesus said, you go, oh, that's, that's a different way of putting it. But you, you realize it's all in line with this model. Like one of the most amazing things Jesus said, and if you're wondering, this is where we get our name as a church, comes from John 10.10. Notice how Jesus frames this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, the thief is going to offer you everything. The world will offer you everything. Oh, customize it on your terms and your way. And it will steal and kill and destroy what you ultimately want. But Jesus says, I have come that you may have life to the full. 
Now, this is not a prosperity gospel. This is not, hey, you follow Jesus, you'll have more money, your career will be awesome, your kids will be awesome. That's not what it means. But there is a type of life that Jesus has designed you for, and you only get that when you follow him. You don't get to experience the results of that until you submit your decisions to him. And he goes, hey, I've, I've designed you for a better kind of life, an abundant life to the full. By pursuing pleasure on God's terms, we experience more of it. Let me close by going back to my, my, my story I began with, with the mink teller. So we ended with her rather awkward question, what do you think about premarital sex? I don't know what you would have said in that moment. You know, do you quote scripture to her? Do you, do you threaten her and scare her with hell? Do you, what, what do you do? I don't know. So I'm sitting there, I'm going, I've got one shot at this. This lady has asked me an incredibly vulnerable question. I have one opportunity. So I looked at her and I said, here's the deal. Based on what you've said to me so far, here's my guess. I said, you're probably having sex with your boyfriend and you feel guilty about it. Now, when I said that, her eyes got big and she looked at me like Dr. Phil had just gazed into her soul. <laughs> She's like, that's exactly how I feel. Then here's the deal. I said, if you're having sex outside of marriage, in my opinion, you're not getting the most out of your sex life. And, and so I think what God is looking at you, and, and I don't think God's angry at you. I think he's more sad that you don't trust him. See, I think God has created pleasures for you, but, but you're not experiencing the way he designed them because you don't trust him to do it the way he designed it. And, and I think God would love nothing more than for you to give him a chance at, at life his way that you would trust him enough to submit that relationship to him. And she looked at me and was just, you know, like, whoa, that's not what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to tell me God was angry and I was, you know, all this guilt. And it's like, no, nah, I think I think you have an amazing father who has something better for you, but you won't accept it and has a better way of living and you are doing it your way. See, she knew she's enjoying the heated floor. There's a flood coming. And that's how a lot of us live. And so as we close it, I want to ask you the simple question, what's the pipe in your life right now? What's that area in your life you're going, oh, it's not a big deal. It's, it's really small. That, that you're, you're enjoying it. It's good. You're like, oh, I like this. this is on my terms and my way, this is, this is a really a good thing. But you know there's a flood coming. You know there's this nagging sense. So you can't fully enjoy it because you have this sense of it's not the way it's supposed to happen. And here's the invitation to you. It's not the way God designed you. God didn't design you to have to deal with all this nagging guilt and, and, oh, something's coming. That's not the way God designed pleasure. What if instead you said, I'm going to trust you, God. I might have to make some weird decisions the way the world sees it, but I'm going to trust you. I'm going to see what you have to offer. What what would happen in your life if you began to invite God that way? Because God's got something unbelievable in store for you if you'll trust him. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, we, uh, we acknowledge that you are offering us something much different than what the world is offering us. And it's so easy for us to, to want the same knowledge that Adam and Eve wanted, to want this on our terms, that we get to decide what is good and what is not good. And yet you're inviting us to trust you for that, to submit those decisions to you. And for some of us, that, that seems like really a hard thing to do. And I I pray that you would show us a picture, a foretaste of the life you have designed us for. Where we don't have this nagging sense of guilt as we pursue pleasure. But we we pursue your design the way you designed it. 
We pursue life with you the way you have instructed us to and invited us to. God, what we could do if we experience a life like that. And so we pray that you would give us boldness in, in making some hard decisions that might mean some changes. But that you would show us what you are offering to us. This incredible life that is so different in the way the world would offer us. And God, as your church, may we be a community of people who learn more each and every day to trust you in the way that you have invited us to live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.